All right, we are live. What's up, guys? How's, How's everybody, everybody doing? Um, welcome to Worldview Warriors. I'm Dave Wilson, hanging out with uh, my boy John Jansen, and we've got a special treat for you guys tonight. Uh, we are talking about a lot of fun stuff tonight. What do we have? We have pagan origins of Christmas, um, hallucinogenic reindeer urine, classic. Uh, classic. We've uh, <laughs> we got some good stuff, man. It's it's going to be a good show. So welcome to everybody joining us live on Reason for Jesus. Welcome to everybody catching us a little bit later on uh on youtube joshua's um, in the house joshua's here what's up dude um feel free to um to comment ask questions whatever we probably won't hit that as we're going through but um when we wrap up a section we'll probably cover a couple questions but um we did a lot of digging we got a lot of good stuff for you guys tonight yeah definitely so what is it that we're actually going to be covering today so the main premise that we're going to cover is uh, why you should or shouldn't uh, celebrate Christmas. And uh, is the holiday pagan? Uh, uh, where are its origins? Um, are there any uh, uh, things within it that are inherently evil? Uh, there's a lot of different things uh, as far as common objections to it would be that the, some people would say that the Bible for, uh, forbids it, um, that it promotes inequality or materialism, and that also it has the pagan origins. But uh, how much of that is based in truth and how much of it is uh, just something that we kind of embellish upon and try to fit as far as our own ideas within it. Yeah. So. Yeah. And just a lot of myths and stuff like that. And, you know, we, we did we spent a lot of time digging into the history of a lot of this stuff and one of the main downsides of looking when we're just looking back at history is so many of these things are more just kind of legends that warp into things so there's a lot of speculation that's done there so we want to be specific when we're talking to you guys um, about what we actually know and what we think we know and what we just kind of guess at because um, there there is kind of all three of those but let's um let's go ahead and take a look at our first uh, the first objection that you guys hear because it does seem like there is a growing movement within um, within the church where people are, are stopping celebrating Christmas um, so this first objection that we're gonna look at here um, one thing that you will hear and this is a super important objection um, and that is simply that the Bible forbids celebrating Christmas um, there is there is a right way to worship God there is a wrong way to worship God and that's evident throughout Scripture um, in, uh, in Amos, God talks about how, you know, really he says like, I hate your worship. I hate what you're, what you're doing here. And, um, so, so we certainly want to pay attention there. Uh, you know, if there is a type of worship that is sincere, but something that God hates, that's something that we, we certainly want to avoid. Um, so we'll look here. Usually the text that people will, will sort of project, uh, against Christmas is, is specifically kind of against the idea of Christmas trees, and that is from uh, Jeremiah 10 here. Let me pull that up here. Let me switch us over so you guys can see this a little bit better here. <clears throat> okay, it says, Thus says the Lord, Lean not on the way of the nations, nor be dismayed at the signs of the heavens, because the nations are dismayed at them, for the customs of the peoples are vanity. A tree from the forest is cut down and worked with an axe by the hands of the craftsmen. They decorate it with silver and gold. They fasten it with a hammer and nails that, so that it cannot move. Their idols are like scarecrows in a cucumber field. Cucumber field is kind of a weird thing. <laughs> and they cannot speak. They have to be carried. They cannot walk. Do not be afraid of them. They cannot do evil. Neither is it in them to do good. Um, so this is almost always the text that's that's sort of launched against uh, the idea of Christmas trees. It's saying, you know, this is it right here. This is describing Christmas trees. Christmas trees were a pagan thing, um, and we shouldn't participate in them. Um, but I think really when you when you read, so I, 
what we put on the screen here is uh, verses two through five. Um, usually they'll, they'll just kind of pull like one or two of those verses out of its context there. Cause really when you see the greater context, you'll see that this is clearly not about anything that represented um, Christmas trees. You know, it's talking about a tree from the forest being cut down and worked with an ax worked with an ax is, is really a key there. Mm -hmm. um, worked with an ax or some translations will say it's worked by a workman. Um, this is crafted. This is talking about building an idol. It's talking about turning a tree into an idol, um, decorating it, worshiping it. Um, and it even says there a little bit later, it says their idols are like scarecrows in a cucumber field. Um, so again, this is clearly about actual idols. Um, and that was, that was a very common thing throughout um, really the era that this was written. Uh, this again, coming from, from Jeremiah. Um, so, so this, I, I just think this argument um, simply doesn't hold up. Once you actually look at the text of the passage, you break it down in context. Um, it's pretty clear this is this one is not about Christmas trees. Let's see what we got here. Um, another one is uh, okay. So people will will refer to Christmas as a man-made tradition, and they'll say, "No, we are we are not to." participate in man-made traditions. A lot of people have almost like an allergic reaction to the word tradition. And uh, generally, the scripture that they will that they will use to sort of, excuse me, justify this is uh, from Colossians 2. It says, see to it that no one takes you captive by philosophy and empty deceit according to human tradition, according to the elemental spirits of the world, and not according to Christ. Okay, so they, they would look here at this text and say, okay, well, yeah, Christmas is not prescribed anywhere in the Bible. Um, it's it's a man-made tradition, um, and and here's another text that tells us not to be involved with these man-made traditions. Um, but again, that's just one that you know we we can't just take one verse out of context and build an entire you know really ideology around just one verse. We really need to look at scripture in light of scripture. Um, we keep going. Here's a couple other examples that really present a different. Um, a different picture of traditions uh, in Corinthians, Paul writes, now I commend you because you remember me and everything and maintain the what? Maintain the traditions, even as I deliver them to you. So he says a similar thing to the church. Um, in uh, 2 Thessalonians, he says, so then brother, stand firm and hold to the traditions that you were taught by us, either by spoken word or by true letter. So we can see that really the issue isn't so much um, our traditions inherently good or bad it's just are they in accordance with scripture or are they contrary to it um so again we're we're going to kind of get into um the things that we really have to wrestle with here uh anything else john that you want to say on sort of the the biblical objection to well i mean there, there's plenty of traditions that happen throughout the bible i mean uh you have passover you have as far as um in the book of esther after that happens they have the um meal to commemorate it they've got um mm -hmm. uh, several different things that we you know is still celebrated especially among the jewish community and those things aren't inherently wrong now if we're setting up asherah poles or even like hanukkah yeah yeah hanukkah Hanukkah's for example but like uh, you look as far as what actually corrupted as far as uh israel at the time was when they basically took like asherah pole and incorporated it into it and it was an idol that they actually started to worship okay so an asherah pole so go go into more depth on that well i mean I mean, for example, you have as far as like uh, with um, King Ahab and uh, Jezebel, you have a lot of these uh, false gods that are coming in, these idols that are set up. And then you have people that are actually coming down to uh, worship a false god. And that's yeah. once again, uh, shaping and forming an idol mm -hmm. you have as far not, as not a Christmas tree. No, no, not a Christmas tree. <laughs> not a Christmas tree. Ex exactly. And that's the thing is, you know, inherently uh, God made the trees. 
they're a thing right. of beauty. We're not uh, sitting there worshiping a, a physical tree mm. uh, and bowing down before it. It's not as far as seen as a god. And that's uh, kind of hit upon as far as like later on uh, when Paul's talking to Romans as far as people, uh, you know, uh, worshiping creation rather than the creator yeah uh if i was to you know worship as far as the tree obviously that would be wrong but knowing that he created it uh knowing that it's part of his creation and right. seeing beauty in it there's nothing inherently wrong with that right yeah exactly exactly and we'll get into that a little bit later we have kind of a section on where did the christmas tree come from and that yep. that that is where a lot of that uh lies but really it's it's an issue of the heart you know idols are not something so much out there as much as they are just inside us inside our hearts um you know the heart is a is a factory of idols that's we were made to worship and and we do worship all the time you know the issue is what are we actually worshiping um, cool. All right. So the next objection that we have here, um, this is basically the objection of materialism and inequality. We kind of wrap this into one. So John, I don't know if you want to take point on this guy here. Uh, well, yeah, as far as Christmas is all about companies making money, I can, uh, and Dave can probably vouch for it too. We both worked at Best, worked Buy. At Best Buy for a long time. And I mean, Black Friday, <laughs> you see some pretty extravagant behavior that happens. I remember my cousin. Remember the time our manager got kicked in the shins? I don't remember. That, that was uh, Tommy. <laughs> Tommy, oh, yeah, indeed. Tommy got indeed. kicked in the shit. It was classic. Well, I remember my cousin Matt telling me at Office Depot when he worked there, you remember a guy punching another guy in the face <laughs> over a printer. Over a printer. That's right. And so, I mean, obviously greed and corruption and some of that stuff can be present, but it can also be a time as far as forgiving and celebrating yeah. and showing people that you love them as well. So, uh, you know, that's always going to happen, whether it's one specific time of the year or later. Um um, and it, the other objection within that is that it encourages us to value stuff. Yeah. Now, what's interesting, though, is as far as like, you know, giving to the poor, the needy, um, giving as far as meals to people, that's actually taken away as far as our material comforts and actually giving it to someone else. And that mm -hmm. can show as far as the love of Christ through us. So I, I think that there's a lot of aspects within the holiday season that can be done for good as well. So, yeah, so something that's not. Is something that may be more often than not used as, you know, a negative thing, but something that can be, we can put a, you know, a positive spin, so to speak on it. Um, yeah. Yeah, absolutely. It's something that we can redeem. Um, certainly. Yeah. Um, uh, and then the other one was that it implies that poor kids aren't as good. Um, and that's kind of, uh, well, there's, there's some different implications as far as, uh, uh, the idea of Santa the lump of coal if you're bad or this or that uh, or when uh, poor kids just don't receive as much uh, there can be signs that everybody like, shows up to school the next day and the rich kids you know Santa brought them a bunch of stuff and the poor yeah. kids maybe not so much yeah and uh, one of the things that like my mom and dad said was you know you don't have to ask as far as what other kids did and uh, and got because that's not as far as the purpose of the holiday season so I think a big portion of uh, how we respond to that uh, aspect of a holiday is how we train and uh, teach and raise our children up uh, in order to uh, make the poor kids feel uh, that, you know, they're not left behind in this aspect. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. Uh, let me stay on that a little bit. So, yeah, so I, I think really the biblical response is just, um, you know, if you're if you're a parent, if you have kids, um, there's a lot of it that just has to do with having the right heart behind things, pointing pointing us to the correct things, you know, around the Christmas season, there's always tons of opportunities to give, um, whether it's, you know, soup kitchen type stuff or like angel tree stuff, the shoe box, mm -hmm. um, stuff like that. There, there's just different ways to get involved. Um, 
you know, so you're you're giving rather than than making it about getting. So again, it's something that I don't I, I, I definitely see where they're coming from on this objection. I think there is some validity to that, but I think that the the solution there isn't to run away from everything Christmas, but rather to um, you know, use that as a almost an outlet to do what we should normally do anyway yes. as believers. You know, as believers, we should be giving people. Um, we should be sacrificially giving, you know, sure we give to our church and stuff like that, but we also should be giving to, um, you know, giving to the needy. I remember, uh, well, before we had kids, we I think it was actually the year before we became foster parents, but we adopted like six different families through like, you know, the angel tree type programs. And we actually gathered, you know, we kind of posted it on Facebook. We were just like, Hey, we've adopted a bunch of kids. If any of our friends and family want to, you know, kind of donate, let's give these kids an awesome Christmas. And, uh, and we had a ton of people. Um, just, you know, donating gifts and money and whatever. Yeah. And, you know, and we were just really able to, to bless um, a lot of families in the community. So that's just one of those things that, you know, we encourage you guys to do. Yeah. Um, I know my church, for example, they do a thing every year uh, right around Christmas time uh, for a lot of the inner city kids that, you know, their families struggle with just, you know, hats, boots, coats, things that, you know, are daily necessities. And we do a thing called the big give. And this year we outfitted uh, about 600 kids with hats, boots, gloves to keep them warm during the holiday season. And that's one expense uh, that the family doesn't have to worry about that. You know, if they want to provide a nice Christmas for their kids and be able to provide gifts and things, yeah. uh, they're able to do that. And that's just, once again, just, you know, changing as far as our hearts towards the holiday. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Um, cool. Any, I guess that, that probably was your, your kind of concluding thoughts on that section. Yeah. So now we'll move on to uh, the fun one. Don't worry, guys. We're getting to the uh, hallucinogenic reindeer urine. It's coming. It's right around the corner. But you've all been waiting. <laughs> I know that's what everybody's here for, right? The hallucinogenic that's reindeer right. urine. Absolutely. <laughs> um, cool. So, so really, there's this. Um, if you've looked on YouTube at all, like just search like Christmas is pagan or Christmas pagan origins or something like that. There is a plethora of stuff that you are going to find. Um, some of it has some legitimacy. Some of it certainly does not. And a lot of it is, uh, like we said early on, it's just kind of speculative. Um, so cool. So the one of the first claims, most common claims that you're going to hear is that Christmas is actually the Roman pagan festival of Saturnalia that was simply repurposed or basically renamed, um, renamed Christmas. Um, so the Saturnalia, so what you need to know about that, so it was a hot, a holiday uh, worshiping Saturn who was a pagan Roman uh, god. Um, this was originally a holiday that was celebrated on December 17th. Eventually, it turned into kind of a week-long thing almost. It went uh, up to the 23rd at the latest, but it was basically just this gigantic feast. There was the theme of it was really um, like turning upside down the social order. So you would have like slaves would actually uh, be served by their masters. Um, there was, again, a lot of feasting. There was some level of gift exchanging, probably not um, not so much to the level that we would correspond it with Christmas. Um, but yeah, a lot of drinking, a lot of drunkenness, sexual immorality. There were sacrifices. Um, it wasn't uh, wasn't the best, the best situation. Um, Let's see what else did we have there? Um, yeah, drunkenness. So one of the we'll we'll talk about kind of Christmas traditions a little bit later. But one of them is that they'll say that the the holiday tradition of caroling originated in Saturnalia. Not so much. It was more just like drunk people singing down the street <laughs> was uh, was really what you had in Saturnalia. Not so much um, singing, you know, joy to the world. <laughs> um, 
So that's kind of a, a quick snapshot of what Saturnalia was. So another one that'll get wrapped in there is this uh, the Sol Invictus. Um, Sol Invictus is a, another Roman deity that we don't really know a whole lot about. He was uh, known as the Unconquered Sun. Um, and uh, he was he was sort of related to um, the idea of sun worship. If you do any whatsoever digging on conspiracy theories, um, yeah, I'm sure you've heard of sun worship. Uh, but basically, it's just this common theme that's you know every pagan religion in the world basically before Christianity worshipped the sun. Um, the sun was one of their one of their deities, assuming they were you know pagan and, and worship many deities. But but there was always this theme. So again, Sol Invictus is um, the unconquered sun. Uh, S-U-N, is who this guy is. And, and uh, you know, one of the claims is that, oh, well, he was uh, actually born on December 25th. And, um, you know, kind of when the church did their thing, they just, you know, again, took that holiday and repurposed it. Um, so this is the claim that's out there. Um, as far as its legitimacy, um, kind of. Kind of. Uh, so like I said, we really don't know a whole lot about Sol Invictus, um, but we actually have the first uh, the first document that talks about Sol, Sol Invictus, or at least the, the earliest in terms of, uh, of just age in general, is actually in the fourth century. Um, and in this document, it does reference that people worshipped um, Sol Invictus on December 25th, but it's actually the same document as the first document that also mentions that Christians... Uh, you know, remember the birth of Jesus as December 25th. So who copied who? We don't really know. Um, again, history is, is just kind of fuzzy there. Uh, again, there's a lot of speculations that are um, that are done. Um, and that really brings us to another question of, well, why December uh, 25th? So this is a, a thing, again, you know, people are going to claim very frequently that uh, December 25th is just sort of it's this pagan day and then the the Christians just kind of change the name of it um, but this this idea of December uh, 25th came from this concept of the uh, integral age is what that was referred to and it was basically this Jewish tradition that said that um, that a prophet would die the same day that he was born okay so they figured that Jesus death, was about March 25th, because that corresponded with Passover and that sort of thing. Uh, I'm, I'm sorry, not their, their birthday, their conception day. Um, so basically move that nine months back, uh, or nine months forward, sorry, you have um, December 25th. This seems to be um, why the church selected December 25th. Um, again, there's claims that it was just completely repurposed. There isn't really any documentation that shows that. It's kind of speculative. Um, <sighs> okay, and then it was in uh, 336 AD is, as far as we know, the first reference to Christians celebrating the birth of Christ on December 25th. Um, let's, while we're here, so this is somewhat of a side note here, um, and you guys might be familiar with this, but there is a lot of different claims about how Jesus is um, a copy of, of pagan religion. So there's one that we want to address here. So another very common one that you're going to hear, again, if you're Googling uh, pagan Christmas or something like that, another one that you're going to hear is Mithra. You're going to hear that Jesus is basically just a copy of um, the god Mithra. Um, and we can see from this, uh, I'll make this big on here so you guys can see this. Uh, flip that around here so you all can read it. 
Okay, but this uh, this is making quite some claims. So about Mithras, it's saying that Mithras was born on December 25th of a virgin. He was considered a great traveling teacher and master, 12 disciples, buried in a tomb, three days raised from the dead, all this stuff. Um, there's, there's all these claims here. If you guys have done any research on this, you know that this is just completely uh, nonsense. There is simply not, not any sources for this sort of thing. It actually first appeared in, was it Zeitgeist? Yeah, was that, that was the movie. And then, uh, I mean, Mithra basically came forth from a rock. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> and, yeah. uh, I mean, we'll probably drop it in the comments, but uh, Steven actually did a video kind of debunking several of these. So we'll probably drop that in the comments in case you haven't seen as far as these uh, objections come up. And uh, they're, they're very easily debunked. So we'll definitely drop that in the comments for you guys. Yeah, yeah, that's right. And, uh, yeah, like John said, so, so we don't know a ton about Mithra either. We have more images than anything, but the iconic scenes of Mithra uh, show him being born from a rock, okay, not born from a virgin, unless you want to call a, a rock a virgin, which I, I guess in some technical way it could be. Um, but his famous thing that he did was he killed a bull. Um, that's about it. We don't really know a whole lot about Mithra. <laughs> Nevertheless, um, there is this claim going around that we know all these things about him, about how many disciples he had and whatever. Again, there's just, there's not any evidence for that. You know, we don't see this type of thing appearing until the last like 30 years and no sources are provided. So if you're watching it out there and you're convinced that, you know, whatever, there is something to these um, conspiracy. Same thing with Horus, like definitely not born of a virgin, definitely not born on December 25th, you know, whatever. If you have some actual uh, evidence or whatever, you know, again, send it to me. I'd love to see it. Um, all right. Okay, so that's, um, again, kind of briefly covered uh, Sol Invictus, Mithra. Now we are going to get to Santa Claus. Where in the heck did Santa Claus come from? And this is an interesting one. We're getting closer to uh, hallucinogenic reindeer urine. <laughs> getting very close to that. Okay, so uh, we know Santa Claus as St. Nicholas. Um, St. Nicholas was a, uh, a dude who was uh, a bishop of a church in Myra um, in the 4th century. Um, so I think a couple hundred years after Jesus, he was someone who attended uh, or supposedly attended the Council of Nicaea, which was a big, uh, big decision. You know what? Let's let's get into our let, let's come back to this. I think that's a good idea. You know what it's time for? Heretic of, Heretic of the week. <laughs> yeah. It is time for that. All right. So Heretic of the Week. So new uh, new segment we got going on for you guys. This will be a brief one, but your Heretic of the Week. So we just figured, so being that this is a theological webcast, um, you know, we, we want to do a good amount of like doctrinal teaching and that sort of thing, just on the fundamentals of the faith, that sort of thing. Um, we're not going to do a whole lot of that today, but we are going to kind of do the opposite of that, which is um, show you what heresy looks like. And, and really heresy is basically a teaching that is... Um, a teaching that is formally condemned by the church as something that is unorthodox, something that is contrary to um, the testimony of Scripture, contrary to the gospel of Jesus Christ. Um, so today, uh, your heretic of the week is Arius of Alexandria. So the heresy that he is known for, uh, named after him, is called Arianism. And Arianism is basically, really, it's the denial of the full deity and specifically the eternality of Christ. Um, so what Arius taught is that yes, Jesus is God, um, but he was actually created. 
that's where the big difference is there. So Arius is going to deny, you know, the ideas that we find in uh, in John chapter one, where it talks about, uh, you know, in the beginning was the word, the word was with God and the word was God and the word became flesh, you know, talking about Jesus as pre-existent, um, you know, the full deity of Christ. So Arianism is basically the idea that, okay, here's God up here. God creates Jesus. Then God through Jesus creates everything else. Um, this in a nutshell is, what Arianism is. Um, we want to get into some original languages here. Um, so the um, the Council of Nicaea was basically called to deal with Arianism. Uh, Emperor Constantine actually called this council uh, because he said, okay, well, most of the, the church is teaching, okay, that Jesus is the eternal God, um, creator of all things. And then there's also this small sect of Arians uh, after Arius who was teaching that Jesus is uh, not... Uh, the eternal God, that he's actually a created being. Um, and uh, really, Constantine maybe didn't care so much about necessarily even which view was right. He just said, hey, church, let's get your act together. So he calls this council. He calls the Council of Nicaea. And maybe a separate time we'll do. One thing we talked about is just doing a segment on like debunking common myths that everyone seems to believe. Mm -hmm. Like people think the canon of scripture was created at the Council of Nicaea or you know, there's, there's some whack stuff out there, but, um, <clears throat> so the, the Orthodox term, uh, the term, uh, proposed by the church as a whole was they said that Jesus was homoousios, meaning of the same substance as God. So we don't know what necessarily God is made of or composed of, but he's homo, Jesus Christ is homoousios to God, the father. He is of the same substance. Um, Arius rejected that. And he said, no, he's homoousios. Um, so there's only a difference of like a letter there, but um, homoousios means uh, of a similar substance. So Jesus isn't the eternal God. He is um, he is similar to the eternal God. He's created by God. Uh, again, this is the primary reason for the council of, uh, of Nicaea. That heresy was, was really dealt with. It was, um, you know, there was like over 300 uh, bishops and church leaders who said, no, this is false. This mm -hmm. is Obviously, contrary to scripture, um, Arius only had, you know, a handful of guys that were that were sort of on his team. But that that was officially condemned as a heresy. Um, another reason we tell you guys these things is just because her old heresies die hard, you know, yeah. like they're always coming back around. So the most common group of, of Arians today would be the Jehovah's Witness. Um, yeah, Jehovah's Witness um, really are full blown Arians. Uh, they deny the full deity of Christ. <clears throat> Unitarians as well, actually. Um, so how does this relate to the story? Well, I'm glad you asked. <laughs> it's given by this, this beautiful image here. So as we were talking about St. Nicholas and our, we're going to get into St. Nicholas next, but, um, legend has it that St. Nicholas was at, uh, the council of Nicaea and he actually punched or slapped Arius in the face for his blasphemy against Christ. Um, whether or not that's actually true, we don't really know. Um, that's one of those things, like there isn't a whole lot that's written about St. Nicholas. Um, it's really more kind of legends, urban legends, traditions that are passed down. We don't really have much of anything that's like first or secondhand account written of St. Nicholas. Uh, I love the story though. It's great. There's a few different renditions of it. One of them is he slapped him, one's he punched him. One of them said it was Arius himself. Another tradition says that it was just, uh, an Arian and not Arius himself, but either way, that's good stuff. So that concludes your first heretic of the week. Take that down. Okay, cool. So let's bump into uh, where we were getting here. So let's talk about Santa Claus for a minute and where he comes from. So um, like I said, we were just mentioning uh, 
St. Nicholas, uh, who was, you know, this, this historic dude, there are some people who question whether or not he actually existed. I think, I just think there's enough traditions and, and things like that, that he, he probably did. Um, let's see. So, so really St. Nicholas is kind of a blend of a lot of things. So again, the actual story. So he was a Bishop of Myra, um, and he was a pastor and the, the main tradition that you will hear with St. Nicholas is that he uh, was from a wealthy family, became a bishop, and there were uh, some girls in his community who were poor. And what would happen more often than not to poor girls that they couldn't afford a dowry. So back in those days, you had to have a dowry to get married, to you know, sort of wet off your daughter. But uh, more often than not, if you couldn't afford that, the daughters would end up going into prostitution or uh, sex slavery, something you know horrific like that. So St. Nicholas in the middle of the night snuck over there uh, and dropped uh, some bags of money through the window for the girls to give them a dowry to, in a sense, save them from a life of prostitution. So that's pretty cool. Uh, there's some other legends that say that like he went to orphanages and gave um, kids toys. Um, one of them was that he threw, um, you know, the, the bags of gold through the chimney because the door was locked kind of thing. And people would keep their socks uh, at the bottom of the, you know, by the chimney to dry them out and the money would land in there. That's sort of how that comes. Um, again, this is this is very, <clears throat> very mythical um, as we get into things. So that is basically where where St. Nick ends. And then you have really a tradition that kind of comes out of this is, you know, people giving gifts. There were some nuns in the Middle Ages who um, on. So St. Nicholas was dedicated as a saint. I don't know if dedicated is the right word, but he was commemorated as a saint. There were some nuns in the Middle Ages that on St. Nicholas Day would go around, give kids toys and and that sort of thing. Um, so, so this kind of became uh, a big thing uh, by the time you get to um, like Martin Luther and the Protestant Reformation. Luther didn't really care for uh, the saint veneration or saint worship in general. He kind of tried to put a kibosh on that. He actually... Uh, the, the name Chris Kringle actually comes from um, from German, but it means Christ child. Um, so his, his idea was, okay, let's stop focusing on Santa. Let's look to Jesus. He is the Christ child, the now Chris Kringle. Um, he was obviously <laughs> unsuccessful in doing that because Chris Kringle then became, you know, what we now know as Santa Claus's first name. Um, but so so there's a lot of a lot of claims here. Okay, so another one, uh, a claim that you will hear is that Santa Claus is actually uh, the Norse god Odin. Um, and uh, Odin was a dude who was, he was a god who was worshipped by the Germanic tribes um, during the festival of Yule, which was around the same time. So if you watched our Halloween video, we talked a lot about just different themes that would come up with a lot of these, these different groups at the same time. We'll maybe drop a link to that video because there's a lot of good stuff that's there. But, uh, but yeah, a lot of people had different festivals and that sort of thing around the, the time that we celebrate as Christmas. But um, anyway, so uh, the Germanic peoples would celebrate Odin. Uh, he he had kind of a vital role. Now, as far in terms of him being Santa Claus, really the resemblance there is just that they believe that Odin would fly around on a horse at night. All right. Sorry about that. We're back. Hopefully our audio didn't ever cut out, but whatever. 
Um, haven't seen any comments on it, so. <laughs> there we go. All right, now if I can get my tab back open here. So now we get to the exciting thing that you have all been waiting for, and that is hallucinogenic reindeer urine. So one of the other claims that's really out there um, is this claim that uh, Santa Claus is not St. Nicholas. He's not uh, Odin, but he is actually a Siberian mushroom-giving shaman. Um, <laughs> so there was this ancient tribe of Siberians, and there was there's a whole mushroom conspiracy, if you search for it on YouTube. I, I don't know if I'd recommend doing that because it's pretty nuts, but they relate like <laughs> the Mario mushroom and stuff to like this, whatever. Um, so, so what the claim is, is that Santa Claus is actually derived from uh, this tradition where uh, the shaman would go through and gather these special hallucinogenic mushrooms. And then he would go with a, um, with a bag and go give them to people at the go put them in their houses. He would come down their chimneys, which they lived in yurts. So really the chimney was sort of the entrance to the yurt. Um, but anyway, he would give them these hallucinogenic mushrooms and uh, they would initially people ate the mushrooms. They're like I said, they're hallucinogenic. So they're actually toxic. So they're super poisonous. Um, so eventually they found out that the best way to get the hallucinogen was actually to feed these mushrooms to reindeer, collect their urine, boil it, and then drink it. Apparently that gets you pretty lit. <laughs> so uh, as you can see, I think when you get to that, like Santa Claus, not so much. I don't know. Santa's never, uh, never left me a hallucinogenic vial of urine, but. I'm willing to try it though. <laughs> <laughs> Definitely not. So that, that was a question that we asked is, should you drink hallucinogenic urine? Answer is no. no. Nope. Should not. Should not do that. But that's uh, that's where this claim came from. Um, so really, what you see is uh, again, there's just there's a lot of these different legends. Also, another thing is this is in Siberia. Um, the Siberian just culture in general hasn't really impacted the West all that much. So I think you'd be hard pressed to find an actual tie, um, mm. like a historic tie between there. And again, a lot of this stuff, this isn't so much recorded um, clearly as much as it is just kind of legends and um, oral traditions and that sort of thing. Um, when you get to sort of the modern day Santa Claus, again, I, I kind of mentioned a little bit. Um, well, no, we'll skip that. Uh, so, okay, so there, there's a lot of these traditions around uh, St. Nicholas. He's probably the main influence. <laughs> He's probably the main influence, but there is a lot of blends. The first time that we see really a semblance, because even when you look at St. Nicholas and the actual traditions with him, not so much like what we have for Santa Claus today. The first big one comes in 1822. Um, Twas the Night Before Christmas, the, the famous poem that kind of describes him, which even if you look at the description on there, I actually listened to that poem on my way over here. But they describe him as like being an elf, like he's really small. He has eight tiny reindeer. He has, you know, a tiny little sleigh. Um, but that's that's really the first time we get a big uh, depiction of him there. You know, at that point, artists are, you know, trying to make him you know, paint him and, and whatever. And you have, uh, you know, eventually Coca-Cola picks up Santa Claus in 1930 um, and really kind of gives him that image that we see today and really just kind of pop culture takes over from there. Mm -hmm. Right. You've got like Miracle on 34th Street back in, I don't even know, 50s, yeah. I think, something like that. Tim Allen's the Santa Claus. It, yeah, classic. exactly. Exactly. The Tim Allen classic. Uh, but yeah, you know, at, at that point, really, it's just something that, you know, it's media happened. You know, kind of the same thing with, again, looking back to our Halloween video, kind of the same thing that happened when the Halloween movie came out. It's like, you know, pop culture really gets a hold of this and just kind of sends it a dozen different ways. Um, 
And that is uh, that is more or less where we get uh, Santa Claus today. Anything else you want to add on Santa, John? Well, as far as from like a Christian biblical approach, like where would you stand? Like what you've got five kids now? Six. Six. Oh my goodness. I'm a foster parent. So, yes. So like when you approach as far as the subject of Santa, because obviously there's a lot of kids that's parents tell them, you know, that he's real. Mm -hmm. How do you go about that with your kids? What is your approach? Man, so that that's a tough one, especially for me as a foster parent, because just, you know, two of the six kids that we have living, I mean, one of them's 15, so she doesn't exactly count for, you know, telling her about Santa, but it's just like the other one, you know, five-year-old. Um, it's, 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 it is kind of a tough issue. Um, and, and really what we do is we just try not to emphasize Santa is the big thing. Like we have, um, so we actually have a a St. Nicholas children's book that we have that we read to our kids. And our kids are a little bit younger. Our other kids are uh, five, four, four, two. Um, so they're not really old enough to fully understand, okay, this is pretend, this is fictional, this is whatever. Um, but, you know, we we try to emphasize, like I said, we have an actual St. Nicholas children's book that we read to the kids. We did, we do like, we have a family St. Nicholas tradition where we just go around and we give like boxes of cookies and goodies and stuff to families around us. Um, but we just try to use the words like when we're reading that book, it's like, oh, this is the real guy who Santa Claus is based after. So it's just, for us, it's just kind of using that language where we're not maybe being as blatant, especially for the sake of our foster daughter who, um, again, isn't, you know, I mean, she's leaving us in, sure, in yeah. a couple weeks. So it's like, you know, that just makes it makes it a little bit tougher. But um, yeah, we really just try not to emphasize too heavily the, the Santa element, um, you know, when they watch like Frosty and Rudolph yeah. and stuff like that. Do you that. think that as Christians, if we build up the idea of uh, this extraordinary uh, being that can, you know, fly across the entire world in one night, uh, provide gifts, he's able to track as far as our rights from our wrongs and tell us as far as our, if we're a good uh, child or a bad child. And then have that later ripped away from them as far as them initially believing it and then not. Do you think that's detrimental or, or harmful as far as to the I, Christian law? Man, you know, and that's something that is that is really a personal conviction for me is it's just like, okay, so as I'm raising kids, like if I go through and tell them, okay, yes, this is Santa Claus, he's real, he does all this stuff. Oh, yeah, and then by the way, there's also Jesus who's real and and you know was born at this time and does all this stuff and then uh and then at some point they realize oh okay well you were actually lying to me about santa claus he's not real so what about jesus did you make him up too like oh like that that's convicting for me like i i can't in good good conscience you know affirm that and like push my kids towards that um that might not be everybody's view but that's that's kind of where i i don't know i mean your kids are a little bit younger than ours so you probably haven't had to not so much. I mean, my daughter the other day, like, I didn't even realize she even had an idea of who Santa was, but then we passed, like, some Christmas lights, and she goes, ho, 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 and I was like, where did that come from? And, uh, but, uh, I mean, she's just, as at this stage, kind of realizes that he's a cartoon character, whereas whenever I, uh, you know, read her the Bible or different things like that, I emphasize this is history, you know, this right. is real life, and uh, I think having that emphasis as important as she will grow and develop. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. Definitely. Um, cool. So uh, that I think kind of wraps up Santa there. Now there's, there's some other traditions, um, just kind of Christmas time traditions too. And a lot of those will get claimed as pagan and stuff like that. Now you've done some research on uh, uh, 
What, how about you knock out the Christmas tree? You deal I'll take with care that, of the baby. girl, excellent. and then I'll finish up with uh, mine. Excellent, excellent. Okay, so Christmas trees. So we talked about that a little bit. Um, and uh, just kind of like with Jeremiah 10, Jeremiah 10 is talking about idols. It's definitely not talking about what we resemble today as Christmas trees. Um, so what we see as Christmas trees, okay, here. Uh, I'll divert real quick because there is another legend. There is a legend that in the days of the early church around the idea of like Mithra worship, Saturn worship, stuff like that, um, that pagans would worship. Basically, they would set up Christmas trees. And uh, when Christianity became the official religion of Rome, they kind of got rid of everything pagan. So they told people, you know, you can no longer decorate these trees with silver and gold in your front yards. So then the pagans just then cut down their Christmas trees and brought them inside. Um and then that is now what we know today as Christmas trees. Um, I've not been able to find a single source um, anywhere near that era that actually says that. Best I can tell, that's um, really just speculation. Um, again, if you're watching this and you're like, "No, bro, this is a real thing," like send me the send me the evidence. Let me take a look at it. You know, um, I simply haven't found anything like that. The first thing that I can find that really resembles a Christmas tree actually goes back to, again, we mentioned Martin. We talk about Martin Luther a lot, I feel he's like. Uh, he's, a, he's a straight shooter. He's kind of a big deal. He is. He is. But uh, um, really, it, the what we know is, is the Christmas tree really goes back to Martin Luther and, uh, and Germany. Um, so again, we don't have anything solidly written. Martin Luther didn't write about this. There wasn't a historian that was a contemporary to Luther that wrote about this. There's again an oral tradition um, that basically says that Martin Luther was out uh, in the night in the woods. He looked at the Christmas tree, saw the star above it, and he just kind of saw symbolism all around, right? He sees, you know, okay, there's a star in the east, east representing, um, you know, the bringing of the wise men to come worship Christ. He's looking at the trees like, wow, it's, you know, an evergreen tree. There's always life to it. Um, you know, kind of in the same way, um, you know, Christ is, um, you know, our, our tree of life, so to speak. Um, you know, Christ is, is, of course, eventually executed on a tree. Um, so he just sees all the symbolism. So he cuts down the tree, brings it into his house, puts candles on it, tells his kids about how, how uh, you know, Christ is the, the light of the world and, and that sort of thing. Um, again, this is somewhat of a legend, but it's a legend that has a lot of circumstantial evidence to it. So we see in Germany, so Martin Luther was German, in Germany, um, within really the, the 150 years or so following that, Christmas trees are a very German thing. Um, they're a very German thing until the mid 1800s um, when the, the English royal family was painted. Um, a famous artist painted them and there was a Christmas tree in the background. And at that point, you know, basically the whole world was all about, oh, the royal family, England, whatever. Um, so at that point, um, the world really got excited about Christmas trees. Uh, and again, that was really in the 1800s. Um, it's kind of where that, where that comes with, comes from, sorry. Um, okay, and John, you did some research on the mistletoe. So I, I came across a claim when I was doing all my research that uh, mistletoe actually goes back to Saturnalia. And it was something that people would um, sort of hang up. And if a woman would happen to walk under there and a man saw that, he could then seize her and have his way with her. Uh, is that true, John? From everything that I could find online, no. That just seems to be pure speculation. Not, nothing as far as concrete in that. Uh, mistletoe's origins uh, go back, you know, thousands of years to the uh, Greek times. It was seen as far as like kind of a cure-all and had lots of healing properties. They would use it for anything from uh, menstrual uh, cramps to spleen disorders. Uh, the Roman uh, Pliny the Elder, he noted that it could be used as a balm uh, against like epilepsy, ulcers, or even poison. 
but it has started to get a little bit more uh, romanticized uh, in the first century uh, by the Celtic Druids. Um, basically, they noted that, you know, mistletoe could uh, bloom even within as far as like frozen uh, times and when it was freezing cold out. And so they viewed it as uh, being a vivacious plant, very vivacious. It's a good word. That's a word of the day. But because of that, they thought maybe if we give this to, you know, people or animals that are infertile, it might be able to, you know, cure that and uh, help out with that. Um, but then as far as kind of the ancient world's version of essential oils. Yes. Right. Yes. Yeah. yes it was. <laughs> but then uh, in Norse mythology, there's kind of two tales. Um, uh, but basically the general gist of it is that Odin's son uh, uh, Boulder was uh, it prophesied in one version and the other. He had these dreams thinking that uh, he was going to be killed by plants or a particular type of animal. And his uh, mother, Frigg, was very, very, um, you know, distraught by this. And so she went out to all of these plants and animals and uh, basically made them vow that they wouldn't harm her son. Um, but the one plant that she overlooked was the mistletoe. And then her son, Loki, uh, he uh, decided he was going to take advantage of that. So he crafted an arrow out of the mistletoes as far as wood. Um, and uh, what he did was he, uh, in one version he shoots them and another one he stabs them while he's seated. And um, in one version, uh, a boulder dies. And then uh, the idea is that, you know, you would kiss uh, anytime you pass underneath the mistletoe because it was just a sign of remembrance not to uh, uh, look over that. In another version, the gods uh, uh, bring, uh, the boulder back and Frigg to commemorate and uh, say thank you basically to the mistletoe for uh, not killing her son uh, as um, anyone that would walk underneath it. And she was a goddess of love. She vowed that anyone that walked underneath it, she would come down and plant a kiss uh, basically on the individual. So most likely uh, from most of the research I've done, that seems to be where the tradition really sprung forth. And it kind of carried over into the middle ages and then um, it was in the 1800s that Washington Irving basically said, you know, if a, a woman comes underneath uh, and uh, the mistletoe, you can uh, steal a kiss. And when you do that, you have to take a uh, berry off of the mistletoe. But if she refuses, it's bad luck on her part. And that's kind of carried through uh, hmm. down the down the time. So. so that's where mistletoe comes from. Indeed. Cool. Um, all right. I think... That was pretty much it, what we had for um, the different traditions that are there. Okay, so here's another interesting thing. So again, with, with I guess, kind of going back to Santa Claus a little bit there. Santa Claus is celebrated somewhat differently throughout the world, uh, mostly pretty similarly. Um, here in the States, you know, if you, um, you know, really want to make him happy, you leave him a milk and cookies. Um, in Australia and in England, instead, you leave him a beer. So I guess if you really want him to uh, give you some good gifts, uh, leave your boy a cold one. Was St. Nicholas a Calvin? Calvinist? Uh, I don't think so. Uh. He had a good list. So <laughs> <laughs> I don't think so. Um, cool. So, and then at this point, I guess um, we'll just kind of look for a biblical response here. So let's say that, uh, you know, we would get some documents or something would be unearthed that says, um, you know, that, that shows that Christmas is, in fact, just poured over from pagan, that there was all these pagan things. And uh, when when Christianity took over, it just, uh, you know, pulled the eraser out and uh, erased that and wrote Christmas instead of, you know, Saturnalia or whatever, uh, whatever pagan holiday. Um, you know, how do we respond to that? Um, 
And I think really when you look at it, again, we have to understand that days in and of themselves are not evil. Uh, some of these practices, certainly things that were associated with like Saturnalia, like some of the sacrifices and stuff like that, pagan deities, obviously that stuff is wrong. That's evil. We're not going to do that. Um, but in terms of just taking a feast day and taking sort of a celebration um, and just saying, okay, well, we're going to take these things that did mean these other things and we're going to make this about um, Christ. I think that's okay. Like even if, you know, like Christmas trees, like even if we were to discover something to where uh, the Christmas tree is a perfect representation of something that pagans used to worship, like trees are still not inherently evil. Like, and again, what is your heart behind that? Um, I think that's really, really what it comes down to. Um, you know, if you are, you know, worship is fundamentally something that's of the heart. Um, you can't, trick someone into worshiping something like it's not like by bringing a tree into your house you know when you go to worship jesus you're actually somehow worshiping satan or something like that like it just it doesn't work that way like trees are good god created trees um we can enjoy trees that's okay um we'll look at uh let's see i don't know why we didn't have this other one here um but romans 14 here romans 14 is kind of a blanket thing for a lot of things that are just not prescribed in scripture. So um, Paul writes in here in uh, Romans 14, he says, let us therefore not pass judgment uh, on one another any longer, but rather decide never to put a stumbling block or hindrance in the way of a brother. I know and I'm persuaded in the Lord Jesus Christ that nothing is unclean in and of itself. He was kind of talking about foods here, um, but it is unclean for anyone who thinks it is unclean. So just kind of going back to your um, to your conscience. He says, if your brother is grieved by what you eat, you are no longer walking in love. Uh, by what you do eat, do not destroy uh, the one for whom Christ died. Um, and, and he gets in there and he talks about days a little bit with that too. But but really what the what the moral is, is that worship again is a fundamentally a heart issue. You know, what are we actually, um, what are we actually celebrating here? Um, let's see, let me bump to this next one here. Um, so one of the things that Really what we're looking at at this point is we're going to kind of transition and, and look for ways to keep Christmas actually about Christ. Um, one of them, and this is again a family tradition that, that we do with our kids, we look to Advent. Um, so we'll do like the Advent calendars and really Advent is this time of basically getting ready for um, remembering the incarnation of Christ, right? When the eternal God put on human flesh uh, to live and die for the sins of um, of his people. Um, that's That's really what Advent is about. She's going for it. <laughs> um, you know, at Advent, we look back to the incarnation, back to Christ in the manger. But at the same time, we're looking forward to the second coming of Christ at the end of the age. Um, so it really is a beautiful thing, a beautiful time to um, just gather with your families, teach your kids about Jesus. Um, it's good stuff, man. Again, like I said, I, I mentioned the uh, the real story of uh, St. Nicholas. That's something that we do. I mean, we're not uh, we're very Protestant. We're not into, you know, saint worship and stuff like that, but it's, it's a cool story to look back on. Um, and again, I think it's a good segue, um, to get your kids kind of thinking rightly about Santa Claus and that sort of thing too. Um, family community giving, we already talked about that a little bit, um, organizations to the church or soup kitchen or whatever. Um, any other ways you can think of that we, we want to be specific to, uh, keep it about Christ or, or just positive traditions. We can... <laughs> His daughter is yelling. <laughs> yes, she is. Uh, you know, I, I do kind of the same thing. We've got an advent calendar and then each day we go through this bad boy with the girls and um, kind of just gives them a little bit more in-depth description 
um, growing up as a kid, my mom, Sunday morning, or sorry, Christmas uh, morning, we'd wake up. And uh, the first thing that we did before anything else was we would read through as far as uh, basically uh, the birth of Jesus. Mm-hmm. Um, and then she would skip some of it, but go as far as to uh, what he did on the cross for us. Um, mm-hmm. That way, as far as it really uh, brings about as far as our focus and uh, uh, steers our hearts towards the true reason for the season. Yeah, absolutely. Um, other ways that we came up with of, uh, you know, keeping the right, the right heart on, on Christmas is, uh, watching the star Wars holiday special. Uh, if you're not familiar with that, it is absolutely terrible. Don't ever watch this. It's awful. George Lucas tried to have it destroyed. Sorry. That's way off point. Uh, I think we had one more slide here. Uh, the last, okay. So the last thing that you maybe do with, especially if you have kids or even if you don't, uh, die hard coloring page, die hard, as we all know, the greatest, uh, the greatest Christmas movie. Yes. yes, they actually have a um, a coloring book of that. <laughs> so on that note, I think that is uh, that is what we had for you guys. Um, any closing thoughts, John? Uh, you know, it's one of those things that uh, you see these things come up every single year. You see these memes that will post up on Facebook. And um, before you just uh, immediately go in to... Uh, condemning or saying, you know, this is an evil holiday, take the time to do the research, go into the history behind it. Um, because usually, as far as uh, from what we found through going through Thanksgiving now, Halloween and Christmas, is most of it is primarily made up. Yeah. Uh, there's a big portion of it that it's just or like, speculation or speculation. Yeah. Little um, pieces of evidence here and there. And then somebody just kind of makes up some crazy, like anti Christian theory almost a lot of times. Yeah, in yeah. an a era where everyone's talking about fake news, it's very easy to just see something pop up and just take it at face value without even like looking into it. And so uh, definitely do the research. It can be very edifying for you. It can you know teach you as far as where it uh, started within the church uh, and make you feel more solid as far as the foundations of what you've done in your past. So. Absolutely. Absolutely. All right, guys. Well, on that note, um, we will leave it here. Hope you all have a wonderful Christmas. Um, again, make it about Christ. Well, I don't actually know what our next video is. We got a lot of really good stuff in the works. I've been going ham on occult stuff, demonology, like some crazy stuff. We got some cool interviews. Um, we're actually going to be bringing in some more people in the future episodes, but, uh, anyway, we love you guys. Uh, grace and peace and, uh, yippee ki <laughs>